Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast, the first podcast of the 2009-2010 offseason, along with Aaron Fitt. I'm John Manuel. Thanks so much for the download. We're actually going to talk some professional baseball today after Connor and Nathan dropped some draft knowledge on you from, from Jupiter. And, Aaron, I'm not sure if we could match their passion and enthusiasm because those two guys were both pumped and jacked coming from Jupiter. But the two of us are Red Sox fans uh, in the, basking in the not-so-glow of the 27th World Championship of the Yankees. I'm looking forward to Joe Girardi in his 28 jersey next year. That's a, kind of a cheesy uh, – that's kind of cheesy. That's easy to make fun of. But uh, I, I, I thought it was an uninspired postseason with a pretty yeah. decent World Series really highlighted by Pedro Martinez, you know, for me. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> At least his game two performance. Maybe that's the Red Sox fans and us talking, John. Is, but, I but I mean, I, you know, I was very excited to see the, the drama of Pedro against the Yankees once again. But twice. I wanted to see it once. <laughs> I, I only wanted to see it once. You know, I, you just had a bad feeling that uh, the, the second time around wasn't going to be so good. He only had five days rest, you know, which nowadays <laughs> isn't enough for Pedro. It was... He he he, uh, he gave it his, his best out there. He, was, he gave us one more classic Pedro performance, and it was it was six innings and two <laughs> runs, and he almost won. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much I mean, the the bottom line. Is Pedro was barely the number two starter yeah. on the Red Sox five years ago. Yeah. And then the Phillies asked him to be the number two starter this year, and that's why they ultimately, in my mind, why they lost that series. And they did match with the Yankees fairly well, but I do give the Yankees, for all their payroll advantages, and they exercised them very well, I think you do have to give credit to Brian Cashman for when they had money, they spent it more wisely this year than they have in the past. They recognized they didn't have great defense. Okay, yeah. let's bring in A.J. Burnett. He's worth more to the Yankees than to other teams because they don't have good defense. Let's get a strikeout guy in here. CeCe Sabathia and Mark Teixeira were no-brainers. It went to the highest bidder, and those are both great players. Uh, to A-Rod's credit, he responded not having to be the man. And uh, with Teixeira around, that definitely seemed to, to help A-Rod. And A-Rod was uh, tremendous in the postseason. A six-game World Series, good to have. I think it was good that the best postseason series of the year was the World Series. Yeah. And the TV ratings reflected it. I think they also reflected the fact that the Yankees were involved. People were attracted by Pedro against the Yankees. That storyline sure. held some resonance. So... Uh, good for baseball to have good TV ratings. And just to finish this topic here, and is it good for baseball or bad for baseball the Yankees win a World Series like that? I, I think it's good for baseball in the end. I, I, I agree, John, with I think a year-long standing theory that uh, it's good for sports to have those juggernauts that everybody loves to hate. It's good to have the brand names That's right. be healthy. And, and I think you know, I think you and I both thought it was good for college baseball to have LSU and Texas in Absolutely. the national championship. Absolutely. Uh, especially after the last few years when you had Fresno and Oregon State. And those were good stories. But, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the, there's, there's a lot of power in that brand name. And even the Yankees fans, um, you know, who understand that uh, – 
yeah, money, the payroll had a lot to do with this thing, I right. mean, obviously, but... Um, Absence, I think, made the heart grow fonder for a lot of Yankees fans. Sure. Uh, I think, I think this one meant a little bit more to them in, in a lot of ways, especially after they've seen the Red Sox win two since right. they've last won one, and I think they really wanted this one. I think so, and one, the one other thing to throw out there is it does make you realize, uh, if you didn't already, just how ridiculously good Mariano Rivera is. Yeah. I mean, if that guy's not a unanimous Hall of Famer, no, I mean, they're a Hall of Fame that's never been, I guess, what, Tom Seaver, 98.6% is the highest percentage of votes. It's not like it really matters. If you're in the Hall of Fame, you're in the Hall of Fame, whether you're a wall scraper like Jim Rice or Tim, Tom Seaver, they have the same plaques, yeah. you know. Uh, obviously, one's more deserving than the other. But Marlon Rivera, to me, if anyone looks at that guy and says, that's not a Hall of Famer, they're insane. I mean... He's the difference. He's the difference in that dynasty. And I do think it's good for the brand, the best brand name in baseball to be strong. It is better for it to be strong but not a dynasty. Yes. I think dynasty – I think the only sports – I think you're bigger. the bigger the sport, the worse it is to have a dynasty. I don't think it was good for competitive balance in, in, the, in baseball when the, when the Yankees won three in a row and four to five. That wasn't great. Uh, but that works in the NBA. You know, for whatever reason, it works in the NBA. Maybe it's uh, the fewer teams that get in your playoffs, uh, the worse it is to have a dynasty. Because in the NFL, I don't think it's great when there's the Patriots, what they won three in a row or that kind of thing. When, I, I have to disagree with you there. Of course you do. Uh, <laughs> I think it's better, and I, I think it's better that the Patriots and the Steelers and the Colts win one here or there as opposed to several in a row. Because part of yeah. the NFL's conceit is parity. Sure. Which, you know, they don't have any parity this year. Uh, or in several recent years, honestly, I think it's gotten worse uh, of late. But you know, in the M- in the NBA and the NHL, where more teams make it, it's like for those leagues, it's just okay if your team makes the playoffs. You don't have to win, and it's great if you have dynasties in those. Those two leagues seem to be better off almost when they have dynastic teams. That's a whole other podcast. That's another show, I think. But uh, congratulations to the Yankees, and I won't say congratulations to the Yankees fans. I think of you as, as I think of Duke fans. So uh, <laughs> that's all I got to say about that. Aaron, we're on the National League East top ten prospects. A team the Yankees vanquished the Phillies uh, organization that I did uh, for their top ten prospects and top thirty. And at the other end of the Yankees and Phillies spectrum are the Nats, yeah. the organization whose top ten you have done, and you have covered the National slash Expos since basically your first month at BA yeah. when you took over doing their organization report when English language media stopped covering right. the Montreal Expos. Yeah, this, this is my favorite all-time story. This is my, my sixth Nationals top 30 list. That is punishment, man. <laughs> I can't believe we do that to you. You know, we, we've had, some, we've had some, some ups and downs over the last six years. I, I think that uh, there's, there's been one constant, Ian Desmond. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I think he's been in, in every one of these write-ups. That is so awesome. You're right. He was a 2004 high school draft, yeah. and he's still eligible now after his big league debut. Right. And, uh, and, and, he's, and he's rocketed back up to number four on the list, too, John. After is this a, the highest he's ever been? I think he was number four in, in about 05 or 06 uh, a while back. Um, That's pretty but, funny. Uh, he was number 19 last year. He was kind of wallowing in the you know mid to back section of the list for a while. Great to see Ian Desmond have a, have, have a bounce back year uh, for the Nationals. Um, you know, I... I still don't know how good of a big leaguer he's going to be, but uh, the opportunity is certainly there it's for there. him. There, yeah, he might make our top twenty rookies he, next he, year. He does have he does have tools. Yeah, I mean he's it's just a matter of it's always been a matter of consistency and a matter of hitting. I and think it looks like the bat's coming around. It does look like the bat's coming around. He definitely hit in the Eastern League this year. I have positive reports on his bat. I think defensively, the whole question is just making the routine play. Right. He doesn't he doesn't make the routine play consistently enough and. 
I, I put myself through this. Uh, I, I watch some Nationals games. I watch quite a few games, almost always with a mute button on for fear of Rob Dibble hurting my brain. But uh, I do. Wa- I did watch him in the big leagues, and and you could see the scouting reports were true. He makes some bonehead plays. He doesn't. Right. He's not always engaged. It seems like defensively. And boy, I sure hope he's going to be if he's going to be the big league shortstop next year. But obviously, the Nationals. Uh, you know, Steven Strasburg and Derek Norris. Those are two easy top guys. It looks by the looks of your top ten, though, Aaron. You had a little bit more trouble yeah. fleshing out the rest of that list. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I like Danny Espinosa at number five. I think it's, yeah. it's, a, it's an exciting prospect, a guy who's a really good defensive shortstop. He's a switch hitter uh, with surprising pop. And, uh, you know, I think he's, he's he's a quality guy there in the middle of this list. I think Chris Marrero, I, I still think, is a solid number six guy. He's still just 21 years old. I think he's going to hit. I think he's going to have power. Uh, after that, I think this list drops off a cliff. Yeah, talk about opportunity. If Chris Marrero comes in healthy next spring, I mean, who's the Nationals' first baseman? I guess it's Adam Dunn. Yeah. Who's obviously pretty good, but right. he's terrible at first base. He might be worse. He might be a bigger problem at first base than he is in left field. Yeah, d- despite Adam Dunn's spot on the uh, 2010 lineup here in uh, in right field, I think. <laughs> oh, <are you laughs> is that what it says? He is in right field. <laughs> Holy shnikey. I, can, I think we, we all agree that Adam Dunn is not a long-term solution in Washington. I think you, your nephew, John, might beg to differ. But, That's right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I think Chris Marrero is the future there at first base. Um, it's not going to be next year, but he might be two years away. And, he's, and not, he's not a bad six. He's not a bad number six guy. He, he was too high as a number one guy a couple of years ago. But right. As a number six, you're, you're happy with that. And then Jeff Coburnus at seven did not have a great debut, but we both like Jeff Coburnus. I think I'm if a, he'd been yeah. in that 11 to 15 range, sure. you'd feel pretty good about this organi- organization. Absolutely. I think I mean, I think he's, he's, he's one of my, my favorite guys in this draft this year, yeah. honestly. It's just a, uh, I like his skill set. I just think that he's, he's athletic. He's got a really good line drive stroke. Um, you know, he, didn't, he had a slow debut, and then he got banged up. But um, I, think, I think he's going to be a good one. But he, he does seem a little high at seven, given the fact that he hasn't produced in the, in the professional ranks yet. Yeah, and then you know, Justin Maxwell, Michael Burgess, Destin Hood, three toolsy outfielders. Of varying ages, <laughs> I mean Justin Maxwell's what twenty six? Yeah, I think so. Uh, so yeah, it's not a great top ten on, on the scale of your Nats history. Though I mean, he still has to rank toward the top of it. I haven't yeah. had a player anywhere near the exactly. caliber of Strasburg. Right. And right now, I mean, we were talking about this yesterday in the office, off air, as it were. Um, Steven Strasburg clearly has the best stuff in there. I mean, I don't even know who their number two starter is in their big league team. As of this moment, after John Lannon. So, and then Drew Storen, uh, you think Drew Storen has a chance to open next year in the big leagues? Uh, I think he's got a real shot. <laughs> I think he has a shot, too. I'll be stunned, actually, if he doesn't. He gave up the uh, game-winning home run, the game-losing home run, in the Rising Stars game in the Arizona Fall League on Saturday, if you happen to see that. But, uh, you know, there have been uh, worse things that, uh, that have happened than giving up a home run in the Arizona Fall League. And that's, and that's the knock on Drew Storen, though, is that he can be a little bit homer prone. The fastball, when he leaves it up especially, doesn't have a lot of life. It's kind of straight. Uh, so he's got to do a better job pitching down in the zone with that. And, and, and you know, he's, he's got two really good breaking balls. He's got a ch- uh, curveball and a slider. They're both above average pitches. So. Any chance that, that they start Storen or try to start him? I mean, no chance. No chance. He's, like he's, he's a reliever all the way. He's just got that kind of a mindset, and okay. that's where he likes to be. Well, I like Drew Storen, and uh, I think Drew Storen in the uh, Phillies' top ten might rank ninth. 
So it's a good, whatever it's a that's good Phillies list. I, I I know. I mean, and you, it seems like when you do a top ten or top thirty, uh, Aaron, you either either start to like that organization better than everybody else likes it. You like it less than other people like it. There's yeah. really very little in between. And I, I think I was bullish on the Phillies last year. We put them 12th in the top uh, in our organization talent rankings. And now they've traded prospects 2, 3, 4, and 10 off last year's list and graduated number 9, Jay Happ, who was one of the better rookies in the major leagues this year. Right. And I still think they're going to move up in the, our organization rankings. It helps when you've got guys like Michael Taylor stepping forward and just having a, a huge breakout yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, 2020 at double A AA and triple A, 20 homers, 20 uh, stolen bases. This this was a great. It seems like John, this was a great year developmentally for the Phillies. When you've got Dominic Brown, Kyle D- Drabeck, Michael Taylor, Travis Darno, all these guys, uh, even Sebastian Baye had a, had, a, had a good year as, as a 19 uh, year old in the New York Penn League. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of guys here that that really stepped forward and just just developed well. It was a good year for them developmentally. You're right. Uh, there weren't a lot of significant injuries. Um, they did get a lot of uh, the guys from last year. And, and the thing is, uh, the Phillies, uh, I'm not usually of this mindset, but Chuck Lamar came in as their new player development director, and he was very aggressive challenging a lot of their players. Johan Flande, here's a guy, here's a guy who last year wasn't even in their top 30. That was my mistake. But the reason for that was he was 22 and in the GCL. But the mindset under Mike Arbuckle was a much more passive as far as they weren't aggressive in promoting guys. And this year, the and that's how you get Michael Taylor last year starting off in Lakewood. He was a college guy. Probably should have been challenged at Clearwater. He had to dominate the South Atlantic League to go up to Clearwater. Uh, Chuck Lamar, much more aggressive in promoting guys. And when Travis DiArno struggled in the first half in the South Atlantic League, they didn't demote him. They didn't send him back to extended spring. They left him there, and he had a big second half, helped Lakewood get to the postseason. I think they won the South League title. He was a big part of that. Uh, Valle, again, they promoted very aggressively in the first half. He did stumble a little bit at Lakewood, but didn't kill his confidence, hit at Williamsport. Now he's, you know, I think he's second in the Mexican League in home runs as a 19-year-old wow. playing for his native Los Mochis. And there were a lot of other players they were very aggressive with. Domingo Santana, 16-17 Dominican, playing in the GCL, not in a Latin American League. Uh, that's an aggressive assignment. And he held his own. He more than he, held he his own. He more than held his own. And that's why, I mean, he, the other thing about this system is, I think 10, 15 years ago, this list would have been 10 outfielders, basically. You would have had almost all outfielders except for Drabeck and Diarno, because they have got five-tool outfielders out the yin-yang with guys like Jawan James, Kyrell Hudson, to a lesser extent in terms of the tools, Kelly Dugan, uh, this author kid they drafted in the ninth round this year out of uh, Arizona High School, which has a really cool name. I forget, I forget what it is. I think it's like Sierra Del Agua or some crazy name. I know it's Agua Fria High School. There it cool is. Water High School, which would be attractive in Arizona. Yeah. Um, but uh, so they have incredible athleticism and depth and of you, athleticism. You didn't even mention system. Anthony uh, Hewitt, of course. I know. And, uh, or Zach Collier. Collier, exactly. Their two top picks in last year's draft. And I still haven't mentioned their top prospect, Dominic Brown. So um, it's definitely it's funny how these things go. You end up remembering who the number one guy was a lot more often. And last year, the first year I did the Phillies. I really thought we went out on a limb with Dominic Brown, but he just seemed like he was our kind of guy, a tooled-up athlete who also had some hitting skills. And he's he's still quite raw, even for a guy who's had success at double-A. And, I mean, his power is so unlocked to some people. I had one Eastern League manager who compared him to Omar Moreno to me this year, which is crazy because he's like six feet, I mean, six inches taller than Omar Moreno was. Hmm. But 
that's how he thought of Brown as a slap-hitting speedster, and that is because Dominic Brown really does not quite know how to even tap into his power. I think he is has the potential to be a, just a monster and just be a lot better than he already is, but he's already surprisingly patient for a guy who's that raw, and he does have real raw power. I mean, a couple of guys in the organization said, "Don't uh, would not surprise me if the guy hits 30 home runs eventually." So you know, in in the New York Penley a, a couple of years ago, I don't know if it was last year, or the year before, yeah, two years ago, two yeah. years ago, uh, somebody compared him to Daryl Strawberry with the the skill set, the, the physical, the raw, ta- the, raw. the physical uh, comp has been Daryl Strawberry since he signed. That's for sure. Yeah, that tall, he's got a little buggy whip in his swing. That that comp has been out there, and you don't want to compare anyone to Daryl Strawberry when power is a question. But that's who he looks like, and that's in some ways who he plays like. And uh, I still don't think I want to put Strawberry on him because Strawberry, the other thing is that Strawberry was the number one overall pick, I believe. And this guy was a 20th-round pick, just great scouting by uh, their area guy. Strawberry started hitting for power pretty early on in his pro career, right? He didn't have this kind of period where he didn't unlock the power. I don't believe so. I think the I think the power was always there. I think yeah. I think Daryl Strawberry was a lot less raw yeah. coming out of Crenshaw High than Dominic Brown. But uh, it's a, it's a fun organization to do because it's an organization at its peak right now. A lot of fans follow it. So there's a lot of interest in it. That's that is interesting for me. I'm fortunate. I I do three organizations that I enjoy doing, and that includes the Yankees, uh, which will be my sixth year I think doing Yankees prospects. But uh, those guys are pros and they have prospects, and it's always a challenge. Uh, just talk about this with Jim Callis on Instant Messenger. So it's a challenge to see through how an organization sees their guys versus how they're viewed from the outside. I happen to think there are a couple organizations in the game right. that overhype their prospects, and the Yankees are one of them. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast. I am John Manuel. He's Aaron Fitt. The email address is podcast at baseballamerica.com, and we actually got a podcast question. We have our two usuals, Luke Good and Joe LeCates. And Luke asked about uh, Aaron Fitt's base, college baseball recruiting rankings. I've enjoyed BA's college baseball recruiting coverage, Florida, Stanford, Arizona State, TCU, and Fullerton, top five. Which other incoming classes and players do you like personally? His personal cheeseball classes, and Luke always gets extra points for using the correct term. Joe uses that as well. They you do. They really caught on with you. <laughs> they, absolutely. Uh, their personal cheeseball, uh, Luke's personal cheeseball classes are Texas, Vanderbilt, and UCLA. And for what it's worth, actually, I have a, two flavors of cheeseball at home right now, a Parmesan ranch and a sharp cheddar that the wife prefers. Um, also, at Oregon, number 24, what kind of shape is that program in right now? How long will it take George Horton boys to reach the top of the Pac-10? Um, that one, let's, let's tackle that Oregon one yeah. first, Aaron, because uh, yeah, last year we ranked their class pretty highly. What, number 10, I think, last year? 10 or 12. And I think it was uh, 10. Yeah. I think they were 10. Um, obviously, Oregon found the going a little bit tougher this year in the Pac-10. And maybe they, even they thought. Uh, and that I was think not so. even a great I, year in the Pac-10. I think I think they were disheartened by how poorly they, they, they hit. I mean, they had pretty good arms. They had a good pitching staff last year, but uh, but boy, they were a horrible offensive team. And, it was and bad. you know, in talking to George Horton during the season, he just sounded beside himself. He was it was it was, it was sad to hear George sound so sad. But um, you know, <laughs> that is sad. looking at, at this class that they brought in, I mean, it's um, once again, you know, the, the, their top recruit is, is a pitcher, Christian Jones, a guy that I really like. Uh, left-hander with with exceptional feel for pitching. I think he's going to be a, a, a big star in college baseball. But uh, I don't know that they really got a lot of 
impact bats in this class. I mean, they love Jack Martyr, kind of a scrappy little Red Turner type player, a classic right. Morton guy. He's their best bet to hit immediately because mm-hmm. he did hit in the California Collegiate League this past summer. I don't remember where we ranked him on that uh, summer league prospect list. I think he made it. I believe but, he uh, was on that list. But yeah. they, people in that league did like him. They liked him just fine. The guy who will hit, his future tools are right. a little bit in question, but he should hit it uh, at the college level. I think he's, a, he's, he's certainly going to be a contributor for them, but what they needed uh, was some thunder in the lineup. I mean, and they're not going to be a team that's going to hit a lot of home runs. That's not their right. philosophy. That does not their ballpark. Just someone that you fear. This is the guy, I guess, Stephen Kalpang. He was a former USD recruit, yep. That's right? the key. He was, he was a big-time recruit out of high school for San Diego, never developed there, spent last year at uh, Cypress CC. Um, you know, they're hoping that he can step in and be a, a, a presence, you know, give them some power in the middle of the lineup. I'm not sold. I mean, I, I think that the guy... I, he's not, was a freshman at USD right. in the West Coast Conference, which is a good league, but it's not the Pac-10. I just don't think he's ever going to really hit. And maybe he'll he'll run into some power, but he's a key guy for them, you know. And, and um, Mark, you know, they got some, some other guys in this class that I think are good sleepers. Andrew Mendenhall is kind of like a poor man Jake Marisnik is what they... they Compare him to. Interesting. He's very toolsy and athletic, six foot three, physical. Uh, that guy could be your pick to click. They need. I mean, this is a pretty deep class once again. You know, because they had a lot of junior college guys in last year's class. Uh, they need some of these guys. You know, to to surprise people a little bit. And Mendenhall is, is one guy who could do that. Dylan Jones. You know, uh, JJ Alton Belly. There's there's some guys here. They just need some of these guys to stick. How about Marcus Piazzizi? Marcus Piazzizi is another one, a junior college guy from, uh, from California, Santa Ana, I believe. That's a phenomenal name. But I do think Oregon will get there in terms of being a a regional team. Yeah. I, I would guess in the next five years they're going to be a regional team. I, I just think I George think Horton so. and Andrew Checkett are too good for that. And the other advantages you have at Oregon, the football program is fairly high profile, the Nike connections, the facilities there. I bet they will be a regional team by 2012, maybe 2011. Well, they better be by 2012 because the world's going to end after that. So. Oh, is that right? <laughs> According to the Mayans, I mean, we're in trouble after that. Their calendar expires. That's right, and sometime in December. But, um, but yeah, I, I think it'll get done there, but I think you've got to have patience. Pac-10 is good. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I was just talking to, um, to Michael Taylor the other day, the Phillies prospect. I know it's not as good right now maybe as it was, but like his, the first pitcher he faced in college was Matt Garza at the non-conference game. And the Friday starters his sophomore year in the Pac-10 – or redonkulous. It was like that 06 year with Lincecum, Lincecum Morrow. Uh, Brandon Morrow, Ian Kennedy, his own guy, Greg, Greg Reynolds, Reynolds, David Huff. Dallas Buck. Yeah, Dallas Buck, John Malone. Just big, lousy with big leaguers, basically. So uh, so that league is good, and uh, and it's especially almost always good on the mound. So that's yeah. where, to me, the Pac-10 has usually set itself apart. And if the offense is a challenge for them, they better get used to that. It's always going to be hard to score runs in that league. Right, so. and, and you know, John. Even last year, that was it was a, one of the worst years in the Pac-10 in a long time. They yeah. only had three regional teams. They still had lots of talent in that league. No They're doubt, just some teams that underachieved. So there's not going to be a year. Oh, UCLA. <laughs> there's no comment. There's not going to be a year uh, where there's just there's just a, a vacuum like that for Oregon to to step through. They're going to have to force their way through. I think you're right. I, I think you're right. Well, uh, how about his personal cheeseball classes? Texas, Vanderbilt, and UCLA. Speaking of the Bruins. It's a small Bruins class, yeah. but uh, usually, so I guess the thing is, Texas's class has long-term potential, but I guess don't look for much from Texas's class in 2010. That's a pretty veteran club those guys right. are Right, they don't need a lot at Texas right away. I do think that you're going to see... the most likely guy to play this year? 
Uh, I think Jonathan Walsh is going to play quite a bit because his bat is, is the most ready. And they, you know, they could use him. They could squeeze him behind the plate or catcher, first, you know, DH, uh, first base, corner right. outfield, kind of a kind of a, a situation there. Um, he's going to hit. I think he'll play right away for them. They got some really good arms in that class. You know, Josh Urban and Ho- Hobie Milner and these guys. Um, but they're more projection guys that you can look for down the road. They've got so many arms there. I don't foresee those guys being major contributors. I, I do like Cole Walla a lot. Uh, he's got five-tool potential, but he's very skinny, very skinny. Needs to get stronger. He's also the John Henson of Texas baseball. It's a, a great cross-sports comp right <laughs> yeah, there. Cross-sport, cross-racial, yeah. uh, spanning the globe uh, comp. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, college basketball reference. Uh, Vanderbilt, as a personal cheese ball, is really interesting. Aaron, let's talk briefly about their class. Some some great names on this class. Yeah. you got Mike Yastrzemski, grandson of Carl, right? Yep. Uh, is he going to play any second base like Carl? No, he's a left-handed thrower, but uh, we'll follow Yaz and see how that goes. you got Reagan, don't call me Ryan Flaherty, who I had, uh, uh, I guess it was actually the Mariners. He, I think he might have been the one who got away in the Mariners draft report card. Interesting. They really believe in that power eventually coming You know, through. Vanderbilt does too, and, and I didn't hear a lot about him from scouts in the Northeast this year. I think nobody really wasted their time to go right. see him. He was going to school. But Vanderbilt does sound excited about this guy. He could even be a two-way contributor for them. They like him a little bit off the mound as well. I think that he's, I, and again, uh, the, the Mariners uh, made it sound like he was the guy they wanted to sign the most, and they did make a run at him. But I don't think money is an object for the Flaherty family. Sure. But then the big guy is Sam Selman, right. who was a late bloomer. I think if we had redone our top 200, say, in July – or after the draft, Sam Selman might have been on our top 200. He yeah, actually would have been. Had to have been. Would have had a bullet on our top 10. And I mean, you wrote in here of a scout who told you this guy's going to be a first-round pick in 2012, and not just a first-round pick, a top of the 2012 draft. Pick. Yeah, the guy I talked to, you know, a scout in that Texas area says he's going to be a top five overall pick. Yeah. Uh, and I talked to a dire- I talked to a couple of directors doing draft report cards who also loved Sam Selman. He's he's the real deal. I mean, if you're talking for a personal cheese ball player uh, in in this freshman class, that's the guy. I mean, he's he's it's a power arm with a, with a really power curve ball. Um, he's he's raw yet. I mean, he's got some you know some things to polish. But uh, again, Vanderbilt's got plenty of arms. They don't need him to to be the ace of their rotation right away. So that that helps. I mean, and, and Connor Harrell is is a guy who's kind of like that. He's he's a a five tool potential kind of guy, but he's he's raw and he's like a little bit like Cole Walla, not quite that much upside, I think. Maybe a little bit more physical now, certainly. Okay. Okay. But but uh, he's got that kind of a tool set, I think. Well, the other the other big question to me, Aaron, is that you look at the whole list. You know, Florida just stuck out at number one. They were number one from this time last year with NLIs getting signed, and then even they lost a lot of guys, including Levon Washington, who didn't even sign the pro deal, but didn't and winds up at junior college. Um, and despite some of their losses, they still are number one by a significant margin, it seems like. And you have Florida State, not in the top 25. Miami, toward the bottom. Yeah. Uh, Central Florida's recruiting class is on here. Yeah. But that's, you know, second year, really the first big class for Terry Rooney, as it, where he's been in charge the whole time. Right. I don't see South Florida. I don't see any of the Florida schools. How much is Kevin O'Sullivan cleaning up in the state, of, in, the, in the Sunshine State? You know, he really is. It's... Put it this way, I talked to a scout down there who said he saw, for the first time he can remember, he saw Jim Morris out on the recruiting trail at some showcase event down in Florida recently. You know, that just shows you 
people are a little bit worried that Florida's taking over down there. I mean, they, Florida really beat everybody badly this year. Um, and granted, you know, they had they had some needs. They had the roster flexibility to do this. But this isn't a huge class that Florida brought in. It's not that much bigger than a lot of other classes. Well, they're Arizona State. Right. And bringing in 20 guys. Um, they, they did have some, you know, they had some scholarship money freed up, and they were able to do this. But, uh, yeah, Florida's class is insane. Um, and, and I think that uh, they're in position now to be – John, I mean, the dominant power in that state going forward. Uh, I mean, it's which is crazy to say because Florida State is good every year, Miami's good every year, yep. and they have good facilities and great coaches, and those programs aren't going to go away. Right. But, uh, you know, and let's see if Florida gets to Omaha before we crown them, as, that was, as Dennis that, Green would say. That, 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 but that was true in football as well. Uh, yeah. the football, Miami, Larry Coker had won a national championship. Uh, Florida State was Florida State. So those two teams were vulnerable because those head coaches, Bobby Bowden now almost 80, Larry Coker clearly wasn't the guy. Uh, but look what Florida has done in football. I, I really think it's analogous. I think there's – and, you know, Florida wasn't that bad just too long ago, 2005 with right. Omaha. So Florida has never been able to sustain baseball dominance. Uh, they've had some peaks, but they've never been able to sustain it the way Miami and Florida, have, Florida State have. And uh, I think most of the credit for that at Miami, you know, I used to go to Jim Morsch, you know, Absolutely. the last 16 years. He's done a great job at University of Miami. And, and obviously Mike Martin, the most consistent program, really, in college baseball is Florida State. I mean, Miami's been to, what, 31 regionals in a row? It's a record. Florida State's right after them. Um, so it's, a, it's an incredible consistency of those two programs. But Florida is gaining, and I, just, I don't think there's any question that uh, that recruiting class is kind of a signal. They – they were in on every top player in the state, and the same cannot be said for Miami or Florida State. Right. That, that's correct, right? You know, they they just have a, a much different recruiting philosophy than Florida State, though. I mean, you hear yeah. it from everybody. Florida State does so much of their recruiting out of their camps, and, uh, you know, they don't they don't scour the state, I think, the way that Florida does. And, and it's it's worked for Florida State. It's been a winning formula for a long time. And this Absolutely. year, even, they, they've, you know, Jace Boyd for Florida State is, still gives them a, a marquee Elite player guy, in their in their class. And, and, he's, and he's moving to the infield for playing a lot of outfield, I think, in high school. I believe you're right. So, so no, go ahead. I'm sorry. So, you know, I, I still think, you know, I still think Florida State and Miami, like I said, they're going to be factors. But, but I, I do think that every piece is in place now for, for the Gators. Uh, they've got you know, obviously that school is is an athletic powerhouse in no multiple sports, um, and now they've got a, I think a, a coach who really knows what he's doing, a uh, great recruiter and, and a great pitching mind. I like his assistance there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. and and they've got a great talent base. Two years in a row, they've had top you know five or six classes here. It's there's there's no reason to think that this won't continue. There, there's something going on there. There's, there. there's no doubt there's something going on there. I guess Central Florida really is kind of to wrap this up. They're kind of like the one school. That's ranked pretty high that you don't usually see in these recruiting rankings. Sure. Uh, what was the story of that uh, recruiting? Is, is Ronnie Robertson, I think that's the kid's name. Ronnie Richardson. Ronnie, Ronnie Richardson, yeah. the kid the Twins drafted in 11th round. Was he the difference maker in that recruiting class for you, or what uh, prompted yeah. him to be ranked so high? Yeah, I think he's he really has a chance to be an electric college player, uh, just a you know a short, compact athlete uh, with premium speed. He does have a lot of bad speed. He's going to be a good, good defensive player. I mean, he's just a... I think I think he's just going to be electric, and 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 you know Darnell Sweeney gives them another 
um, elite up-the-middle talent, although his bat is a little bit raw right now. But he's got, I think he's going to be a very good defensive shortstop and, uh, again, a speed guy. Uh, they've got some good arms in this class. I mean, Alex Besaw from the uh, Skagit Valley, CC of in Washington. Right. Um, the guy that, uh, you know, Connor Glassy heard good things about this uh, this spring doing okay. draft calls up the Northwest. I mean, he's he's a, he's a quality junior college transfer who's probably going to be their Friday starter. So Some of these guys, this, this pretty strong-looking junior college yeah. uh, group they brought in give Central Florida a chance to compete immediately uh, and be a – a regional contender in Conference USA where there was obviously a little changing of the guard last year with Rice not winning the conference, uh, but also uh, East Carolina having an older club. They're going to lose a lot off that club. Uh, and then Southern Miss getting to Omaha last year. Do they, do they be in the mix with those teams, or are they still probably after that top yeah, trio in, in Tulane? I do think they're a, a step below that tier. I think that uh, Rice is still going to be Rice. Rice is going to have the best offense in the country, I think. Yeah, especially if Rendon comes back healthy from that ankle injury. Certainly. He's certainly the key there. Um you know, I, I think Southern Miss is going to be good once again. They've got a lot back from their Omaha team. Well, they certainly lost some seniors, but... Uh, B.A. Volmuth. B.A. Volmuth's <laughs> prime for a big breakout here. Great name. Um, you know, and, and, and East Carolina, they've still, got, they've still got a lot back. I mean, yeah, it was an older club, but uh, they've got Kyle Roller back. Uh, they, they've got uh, Those are Cape some Cape Cod League MVP, Cape Cod League MVP, Kyle Roller, and, and Cape Cod Playoff MVP, Kyle Roller. Grief. Um, you know they, they've got some some plenty plenty back in East Carolina. Tulane's going to be a lot better. I do think Tulane's a regional team. I, I have a hard time seeing UCF uh, being in that top four. Uh, I do think they're going to compete for you know a regional spot, but I I don't see I don't see it happening for them this year. Well, Aaron, I know I haven't broken it down like you have, but we'll end the podcast. What's a, what's your uh, if you had to do a top twenty-five right now? What's your what's your top five teams? Or you can just tell me a, n- a number one if you want to. But I, mean, I think Texas and Virginia are the two shoe-ins for the top five. I think probably those two teams are going head-to-head for number one. Those are the first two teams I think of. Yep. Um, Texas just returned so much of the pitching from last year. Yeah. Plus a lot of the hitting. I mean, yep. Cameron Rupp and Kevin Keyes and uh, Brandon Roy. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of a lot of ammunition back from a team that nearly won the national title last year. Bingo. And and. Um, you know, Virginia, of course, is just so deep and all over the place. I mean, they Bull lost Bob Morey. They lost Caraway and they lost uh, Packer, and that's it. Everybody else is back, basically, on that team. You know, <laughs> that, should pretty, that should be a pretty good ball club. And they're going to be incredibly deep and athletic in the lineup too, because they've got a great freshman class, and none of those guys are even going to have to step in and play right away necessarily. So the athleticism is just such a separator in college baseball. Yeah. If you have athletic ability with guys up the middle, like a guy like a Jared Parker. What's the shortstop's name there again? He was a pretty good defender. Tyler yeah, Tyler Cannon. It just stands out. That's how Nebraska, with Dave Van Horn, made their yeah. jump here a decade ago. They had speed and athleticism, guys like uh, Jamal Strong, or even uh, at shortstop, a guy like Will Bull, who, uh, this I forget their second baseman, Cole, I think was his name. It's kind of athletic guys who could run better than average speed of the average college team, but just... It makes up for a lot of other mistakes, the college level especially. So, and, and I think John, you know, a couple more teams in the mix really like Florida State's club. I mean, they've got their entire weekend rotation back. They've got the core of their lineup with Tyler Holt and Stephen Cardulo and Mike Stuart McGee. Tapley and Mike McGee. All those guys are back. They're going to be very good. Um, you know, I, I think that Florida's going to be very good. We talked about them. LSU State, should be fine again. Florida State was very young on the mound last year, if, if memory serves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, those guys are all back as Two well. Two freshmen and a sophomore in the weekend rotation. Those Florida guys. State, Florida. Who was the other team you just mentioned? Uh, Florida, LSU. Oh, LSU, yeah. Certainly. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's, Rice is going to be good once again. Cal State Fullerton, of course. Um, they're, and Irvine. They're, speaking of, yeah, and Irvine, absolutely. Irvine should be uh, should be good. I mean, Daniel Babona back. 
both those teams, Irvine and Fullerton, I believe, have their entire weekend rotations back. They both do. Well, I, I, the, big, the big thing to watch, obviously, with Fullerton is Christian Colon, our summer player of the year from the yeah. college ranks. How does he come back from that broken leg? I, I mean, it's the best, the best part of my, uh, the best part of my work day. Mondays during the college season, doing the podcast, getting fired up. I love listening to, uh, I love listening to the podcast from, from the selection Sunday last year. That was uh, our selection Monday. That was a lot of fun. It's always good to pop up, bust a blood vessel over, getting angry about things that people do about when you Why not? Up. We enjoy college baseball. We hope you enjoyed the discussion of the uh, recruiting rankings and also uh, the top tens. All the National League East top tens will be up by the end of this week, and we'll keep on rolling with the prospect handbook coming out uh, right after the winter meetings, basically, in mid-December. So you can order that at BaseballAmerica.com, and you can send us emails for next week's podcast where we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the National League Central lists uh, at podcast at baseballamerica.com. Until next time, for Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time. So long, everybody. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.